1: to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I am your host Janine Garner and once again it is fabulous to spend this next bit of time with you as I introduce the next guest on my show. Today's guest is Sandro Forte. Um, He by his own admission says he's an ordinary guy who who simply believes and demonstrates day-to-day that determination and a will to win are prerequisites for success. Um, I had the absolute pleasure of meeting Sandro on his podcast when I launched my latest book, Be Brilliant. Um, He invited me to guest on his podcast. Uh, We had an awesome conversation and essentially a classic example of a new connection being made Uh, online as a result of COVID. Um, We've subsequently chatted a few times and there is so much alignment and congruency in terms of uh, the work that we do, why we do the work that we do and the impact that we want to make um, in the planet, on the planet in terms of helping other people. Sandro has four businesses. He has been running a wealth management business for the last 31 years. He's spoken in hundreds of countries to thousands of people around the world. His podcast um, downloads to an incredible number of people. And he also is an author. His book, Dare to Different, has sold over 400,000 copies in more than 80 countries. He's currently writing another book, And he also has a couple of charity foundations that he is involved in. He clearly knows the secrets to success. And he absolutely shares them using simple, practical and transferable ideas to really help others achieve their objective. Uh, We talk on this podcast about making sure we're not part of the discouragement club. We talk about how perspective makes life interesting and bearable. And most of all, I love the conversation we had around all of us have a choice to make between discipline and regret. But one thing he knows to be true is that a lack of discipline always results in regret. So buckle up for an awesome conversation with the incredible Sandro Forte. Well, I am so pumped with my guest today uh Sandro we met um, via the world of podcasting i actually uh, when I launched my latest book uh, way back in July 2020 right in the middle of the year that has become the year of covid um sandro very kindly invited me as a guest on his podcast and to say we hit it off is an understatement and we literally just off air were busy planning when our borders open when we're gonna have some fun either in the uk or in australia so i'm just super pumped that we have this chance to grab this conversation sandro thanks for joining me
0: Well, thank you. The thanks are all mine, Janine. And I have to say, your book genuinely was wonderful. You you very kindly sent me a copy and I read it cover to cover inside about two and a half days. It really was. uh, And I mean it sincerely. Fantastic.
1: Oh thank you you're uh, too kind too kind well this 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 session is all about you um and I cannot wait to to share your genius uh with my audience so let's uh just kick off with a couple of quick fire questions so that they can get to know you just a little bit and let's pique that curiosity so um You know, I know where you're from, but for my international audience that may be going, that's just a real mixture of Janine's accent, your accent. Where where are you from?
0: I'm from, well, let me explain. Geographically, I'm from the southwest of the United Kingdom in a small town called Western Supermare, which is a seaside resort about 22 miles from Bristol, which would probably be the, the biggest city that people would know, which is about 140 miles west of London in a straight line. Uh, but I should explain the reason I have a very strange name, like Sandro, which is Alessandro Marco Forte, uh, is because my late father was Italian. So that's uh, my origins are in Italy. Uh, geog- geographically, I'm in the UK.
1: And we are currently recording this morning time, your time, evening time, my time. So with that, have you got a coffee in your hand? Do you prefer? Do you prefer a coffee or a tea? I'm definitely a bubbles drinker or a and T. What are you in the morning? <laughs>
0: Uh, some people would describe that as a problem Janine if you're drinking (laughs) tea first thing in the morning Uh, Uh, I'm, I'm very much the black first thing I do black coffee every day
1: wow oh well you'll you'll definitely love Melbourne when you get here apparently it's the coffee capital of the world although we were debating this this weekend with my eldest and uh we were saying that when he is old enough to go traveling the place that he's gonna have to actually jump in and do coffee is Italy like you have to have yeah, Italian coffee don't you, you do
0: and if if I could have a double espresso that would be my drink of choice but the trouble is in the UK they really haven't got to grips with what a good double espresso no. tastes like so yeah it's just black regular black coffee I'm afraid
1: <laughs> now um I know you have a passion about uh personal development and lifelong learning what is what is a book or TED talk that's that's really changed you which is your favorite your go-to
0: oh goodness me that that is a that's a huge question we could spend yeah. half an hour just talking about that um to be honest i've read lots and lots of books one that really resonated with me is a book that very few people will have heard of it's called unique ability and it's written by a guy called dan sullivan he's a personal development coach out of canada i attended a one-year program actually of his and uh, the book is is exceptional i will say no more than that janine other than if you really want to find your why, your way in life and what makes you personally brilliant, because I do genuinely believe we are all brilliant, Mm -hmm. then that is the book that I think will unleash that brilliance. Apart from your book, of course.
1: (laughs) I've added that to my list. And um, can you quickly tell the audience what it is that you do now?
0: Goodness. Uh, I wear five hats, so I'll very quickly tell you what they are. My day job, let's describe it as that. I run a wealth management business in the UK. And uh, let me just qualify that before people start running for the hills and hiding under their desk going, oh, my goodness, it's a financial (laughs) advisor. Um, Actually, I built a business on the back of um, the challenge of being a financial advisor. And what I mean by that is I don't know whomsoever you are and where you're listening from, But there's a very good possibility that there is a stereotype of a financial advisor. And I'm a great believer, and I'm sure we'll explore this, that in life, Janine, when there is a challenge of sorts, whether that's the stereotypical view of a person or a profession, I think there's an opportunity. So I actually built a business that was almost the inverse of the traditional stereotypical model and built the first service standard, um, guaranteed service standards, and have subsequently attracted celebrities, sports stars, two royal families, some of the great and good of the UK, um, and have built an amazing reputation. I, I'm very proud to say over 31 years, uh, never had a client complaint. Mm. So, you know, very proud of the business we've built, but that's the day job. Um, because of the success, whatever success means of that business, I got invited to speak in different places, mainly for insurance companies around the world. And then 82 countries later, and my certified speaking professional and global speaking fellow designation and founder of the Professional Speakers Association. Later, um, here I am working, well, actually more than part-time as a speaker. I also have a podcast, as you mentioned earlier, which again has come from the success of both of those things, I guess. I've written a book um, and I'm in the process of writing a second one. And um, I'm also, this is the one I'm proudest of, I'm also very philanthropic. I have my own charitable foundation, sit on the board of two large charitable organisations and have personally raised over £15 million pounds for charities in the last 20 years.
1: Wow. You are one busy, busy man doing some awesome, awesome work. Wait, what's the uh, charity foundation?
0: Uh, so the two boards that I sit on, one is called Tangled Feet, which is a, um uh, how would you describe it, a kind of a um, a drama... Performing arts based organization that takes um, communication skills to different parts of the country, primarily to help younger people. And the other one, where I'm very proud to say I've just become treasurer of the organization, which means I'll become president in two years, is an organization called the Million Dollar Roundtable Foundation, based out of Chicago in the US, uh, where we regularly undertake various projects and uh, and gift about two and a half million dollars a year to various charities in 90 countries
1: so a classy a perfect example of actually being able to make a huge contribution through the work that you do Con- congratulations on all of that um now let's let's just let's just take things back a bit. And I just want to I want to find out where all this started. Where did this drive, this desire, this this dream come from? If you if you reflect back on uh, the community you grew up in or your childhood, how do you think that shaped the person that you've become?
0: So uh, well, that's very clear. Actually, I can answer that one quite easily because I know exactly where it all started. My uh, late father, Leo he was a very successful restaurateur ran a few businesses um it would be fair to say my mother and my three siblings at the time we lived in a you know in a fairly affluent had a very very affluent life um he passed away when i was 9 years old my mum was left a widow of four children i was the eldest age 9 she was 29 when my father passed away from from lung cancer and at the age of 9 i remember her coming to school uh, i was doing a school assembly at the time and there I was on stage. Um, it's kind of funny how um, there's a kind of a circle of life here. Mm. Um, so there I was on stage. I was called into the headmaster's office and told my father had passed away. And at that moment, she said to me, and I remember the words like they were yesterday, Janine. She said, you're the man of the house now. And in some respects, that was a, it was a real blessing to be given that responsibility at the same time. And we've had this conversation, she and I, many times since. It was almost a kind of a curse because what I felt compelled to do, of course, at the time was to take care of my family. So by the age of 13, I was working in my father's restaurant, which had passed um, under the terms of his will to my auntie. So there I was two hours before school, two hours after school, all my summer holidays working to basically keep the business afloat so that the financial needs of my family could be met. My mother, meanwhile, had become bankrupt. Uh, because she had no um, part of the business in terms of legacy. She was left with a big house. There was no insurance arrangements in place, no financial planning, uh, which led, of course, to another lesson, which is, you know, this presupposition that just because somebody is a, you know, wealthy individual, they have all these plans in place and lots Mm -hmm. of people look after them. Um, It's one of those classic paradigms in life that I think we all have or suffer from from time to time. So, the the teenage years, my teenage years were very very challenging financially for my mum and and for me and the and my brothers and sisters, uh, and really that that um, that theme that that desire and commitment to do everything I could for, in this case my family has continued and here I am fifty two so you know it's it's gone on for the best part of forty three years and it's mm-hmm. something that I don't think I will ever um, I don't think I'll ever see my commitment to the world and to my family any differently and you only have to look at what I do now Mm -hmm. which it's very kind of you to describe it in the way it is some would say just nothing more than a low boredom threshold but you know the reality is if you look at everything I do it's all about helping people you know from Mm -hmm. the financial services business to the speaking to the book writing to the philanthropic work it it all comes back to the same place which is this innate desire to help as many people as I can and and that happened when I was nine years old with a simple command uh, spoken very innocently innocently by my mum at the time, uh, and and here I am, you know, forty three years later, still serving people um, to the best of my ability.
1: It's it's incredible, isn't it? How uh, one simple thing can have such a watershed moment. Well, a simple thing in terms of the message, your know, that line your mum gave you, can have such a significant impact. In the the course that your life takes, what what are what are some of the um, the choices that you've made along the way um, that have have got you to here? Because people often look at they just see the success, they see the podcast, the speaking, the business, etc. But it doesn't all get there very smoothly all the time for most people. What are some of the choices you've had to make along the way? to to achieve what you've achieved so far?
0: Well, I think, first of all, you articulate that really well, Janine. You know, the fact is um, we all make choices all of the time, more times a day than we consciously think about. And oftentimes the the choices that we make are, with the benefit of hindsight, the wrong ones. But I am a great believer. And I, I think the way that I've chosen to deal with life is that I try to be very philosophical. So let me say straight away, I've made loads of bad choices with the benefit of hindsight, but without those choices, having not made those. And a a brilliant example of what I'm talking about here is a wonderful film with Gwyneth Paltrow called sliding doors. If you've not seen it, you've really got to watch the film because it was beautifully done because what happens is I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but Hmm. basically the film starts, she's running for a, a tube train an underground train and in one scene, she misses the train, and then what we see the the film pans out, and it's what happens after she misses the tube. And then, running parallel with that, there's another story, exactly the same scene being reenacted, but this time she just about makes the tube, and then of course her life goes off in a completely different direction. So when we talk about choices and paths in life, um, philosophically, I always take the view that we we make choices for the right reasons at that time, and you know, I think that the mistakes we make shape us, they keep us grounded, they give us a perspective. And I, I'm a, a great believer that perspective makes life interesting and bearable, because without perspective, good and bad, I think it's very you'd have a very mundane existence, I believe. So um, choices I've made, the main one that I would say is I've always chosen to take positive action. And to explain exactly what I mean there very briefly is that I'm a believer, passionate believer, that whatever choice you make, whatever action you decide to take, it can only be positive. Because even if it doesn't quite turn out to be something you want it to be, in terms of end result, you've learned something. So if you really dissect it, every positive action one takes uh, can only lead to a positive place. Mm. And that's a simple conscious choice as to whether you take that view or whether you don't. Because a lot of people I call the members of the discouragement club, Janine. These are the people who spend all their time complaining and overanalyzing and breaking everything down and, and you know, uh, moaning about the cards they've been dealt in life. And, and the really successful people, those that make something of their life or business or both, um, tend to have that kind of amazing, forward thinking, positive, upbeat, uh, philosophical view of life. And you know, that we we're not built any differently. It mm-hmm. it is something that we we simply choose to do. So I think the biggest choice for me has always been and will remain some kind of action in a forward direction. Because I, I can give you dozens of examples on another occasion as to uh where those those decisions have led. But I, I am a great believer that the biggest choice we all make and we are all able to make it is uh forward momentum um through a positive action.
1: What do you think makes the difference in that? So I think uh, it's almost like you and I are cut from the same cloth in terms of uh, the philosophical approach. To for me, it's you know you're taking control, you're in control of your choices. It's 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 almost that. What is and adverses those people in that discouragement club that you named? What what is that? What makes the difference? Do you reckon you're born that way? Or do you reckon you're uh, almost like they have this ability to pick up on that, uh, on those seeds of philosophical thinking, positive thinking that shape you? Or is it one person that's come into your life that has a different approach? Because if you think about, you know, that nine-year-old child receiving that news that day from his mother what made you choose the approach you took versus for some people it could end up down that discouragement woe is me I've been dealt the you know the rubbish hand of life you know what where do you think it comes from
0: that's that's a really good question actually and um I have thought long and hard about this, but going back to that conversation I had briefly with my mum when I was nine years old after the passing of my father, um, she sowed a seed and that seed landed squarely in my subconscious. Now, um, I don't want this to sound uh, as if I'm preaching here and I don't want to sound as if I've jumped up on a soapbox, but I am a real believer, Janine, and I, I would argue this with anybody who wants to take me up on it, um, that we can learn success, we can learn to be positive and philosophical and all those other things you mentioned in exactly the same way that we learn to walk, talk, swim, ride a bicycle, drive a car. Um, and one of the techniques that I've used, um, because I recognised that that early conversation I had with mum was very much a seed that was sown in my subconscious. I, I you know, As I described earlier, I've been burdened with it in some respects, but I don't say that in a in a negative way because so many good things have come as a result of it. But one of the techniques that I use, um, and I, like you, you're, you're a fantastic speaker, but we've both heard speakers who've stood up on a stage and inverted commas motivated an audience. And they all come away from that conference going, wow, you know, great speaker. I'm really pumped. Uh, today's going to be a great day. I've got the world at my feet. Anything is possible. And then the following day, we're kind of back to where we started. And it's one of those mundane days where everything's going wrong again so in the short term consciously I think it's very difficult to for, to find any kind of sustained motivation but I think if you can transfer that motivation and that approach that positive approach to life to your subconscious so that it becomes a habit mm. then to your question no I don't think um we are born successful I think it's much more about nurture but I think it's about those Choices we make. And one choice for me was to train my subconscious to believing that anything was possible. Mm. And uh, one of those techniques, I simply write positive affirmations on cards, on little postcards, and they describe usually two things. One is the goal that I want to achieve. And the other one is the emotion I felt when I achieved it. And I'm describing those goals in the past tense. So the goals have already happened as far as I'm concerned, because of course, we know the subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. So I read these cards. I'll give you an example. It's a bit embarrassing to share this with you, but we're friends, so I can. Um, And it is, you know, appearing on the front cover of Men's Health magazine was testament to my dietary and training disciplines, looking and feeling amazing. Now, am I ever going to be on the front cover of Men's Health magazine? V- very definitely not. But the point here know. is... You
1: never know. <laughs>
0: um, but what's interesting here is that... The 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 subconscious motivation and desire to go to the gym every day, which is what I do, mm-hmm. um, very often on days I do not want to get out, out of bed. I'm feeling a bit achy and, you know, I've got loads of things to get done. And, you know, I just I'm just not up for it. And that happens. And we have to embrace the fact that there are days like that. But because it is part of my subconscious, because I read these affirmations every single day, I've got twenty-five to thirty of them because that's the optimum number for reasons we probably haven't got time to discuss. Um, and I just read these cards like the pages of a book. It takes me about two minutes to read them, and it's a whole range of different things—from you know the amount of time I spend with my family to uh, you know the physical goals I want to achieve to business objectives, uh, philanthropic goals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And these things change all the time, of course. Um, so what I think I've got is this subconscious. Uh, driver that I'm never consciously aware of that lead me closer to the things I want to achieve that most of us would describe as goals. And some of them are very realistic, very short term, very easy to achieve. Some of them are very unrealistic and may never happen. But the reality is if you mix them all up and you read these things every day, I promise anyone listening that they will get quicker, uh, more quickly to the place they want to get to based on those goals that otherwise they would have written down. And the only thing I would say in conclusion to that is, test that against the way we we normally approach goals. We wake up on the 1st of January. In the UK, we call them New Year's resolutions. And what we say is, this year, I'm going to write a book. And by the 31st of December, when that goal hasn't happened, the little voice on our shoulder, which is brilliant at giving us loads of reasons why we didn't do it, simply says, don't worry, Janine, there's always next year. And Mm -hmm. so what we do is we kick the can down the road and then one of two things happens in the future. We either stumble across the goals or achieve them by default, or we look back in the main with regret. And I've always been a believer that there are two things in life that are painful. Discipline is one, regret is the other, but here's my guarantee of the day. If you don't do the first one in life, you're always gonna get the second one by definition.
1: Yes, couldn't, couldn't agree more. I was once told uh, by a, a coach of mine um, that I worked with for a couple of years, actually, a few years, and uh, he said to me, oh, Janine, you've always got to be very careful what you manifest because you always manage to get there. And I never really knew that that's what I was doing, but for as long as I can remember, constant manifestation or visualization around already being there, already having achieved it. And for me, it absolutely helped get through those fear moments, those moments of nerves, those moments of when I just actually wanted to turn around and run, and it fueled my hunger to keep going. I'm, I'm curious, as um, as somebody that, that, as yourself, that operates from this space, um, how does it present itself as a shadow? How does it work um, against you, if at all?
0: Sorry, say that again, Janine.
1: So, how good. does it present itself as a shadow? So, every light has its dark; every positive has its <laughs> negative. Um, yeah. You know, this 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 strength that you have around uh, a philosophical approach to life and what you're achieving. Um, on reflection, what's the shadow side of that for you?
0: Yeah, very, again, very good question. Never been asked that before. Um, and and yes, of course. Uh, every, every dark moment has its light and every light moment has its shade, shadow. Um, I think (laughs) the one thing, this is, this is a kind of um, uh, a a bit of a self-confession on a, on a brilliant (laughs) podcast um, to a lot of people listening, no doubt. I I think that the thing I would say about that is that I do have a tendency to, because I'm action oriented, Mm. I do tend to (laughs) take control of situations Mm. and, you know, in, in things like committee meetings, in client meetings, I tend to um, I tend to struggle with apathy and inertia. Um, so I have, a, I have a, a lack of tolerance for a lack of action. I think it's probably the best way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and that's something I, I have to be very cognizant of from time to time, because sometimes I just see that, you know, the easy route is straight through the middle, whereas there's oftentimes people who just want to go about it in a in a very different way down different paths and explore different options so i i can be a bit headstrong at times i i can be a bit um you know i i can be a bit of a just assume that leadership role it's like everyone follow me mm. so um yeah that would probably be the the byproduct i guess um the unintended consequence let's call it that of this this desire to uh take positive action all of the time if i can
1: I love that, unintended consequence. For me, uh, I've learnt that I have become very intolerant of excuses. (laughs) I'm not very good if people, uh, for a significant amount of time, keep making excuses. So they learn, they learn, they learn, but they don't do anything. I'm I'm, I'm very, like you, action-oriented. So when people don't and they whinge, I get very intolerant. And the other thing for me is... um, it's almost taking people with me i've 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 had to move on from quite a few people throughout my life who to who almost hold me back um so it can be quite a lonely journey
0: sometimes Mm. i think we were separated at birth janine (laughs)
1: <laughs> i know god god help us when we meet in the uk or uh, or in australia i think we'll be talking for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hey why right. um i just i just want to pick up because i'm sure my listeners are also wanting me to ask this question why the limit of 25 to 30 uh,
0: simply because if you have say 100 it, it just takes a long time and the important thing about this technique is that you must repeat the process every day. We we, we all know about how habits are formed. So you've, you've absolutely got to do it every day. Um, I normally have the cards next to my bed. So it's the last thing I do before I go to sleep. Um, if you have too few, then there's too much of a conscious focus on those goals. And we want this to become a, a subconscious thing. Once yeah. you get up to sort of 50 plus, you're spending 10 minutes every day. It's much harder to sustain um, that Uh, discipline every single day. Now, it doesn't mean to say you can't have 30 to 40, but what we find is the optimum number is between 25 to 30, uh, very easy to manage, very quick to do, less likely that a day is missed. And of course, as you achieve the goals, you're not reducing the number of goals. Of course, you are simply replacing any goal that you achieved with another one. So you will always have 25 to 30 goals. Maybe a few more, maybe a few net less, but generally twenty-five to thirty is what we've discovered to be the optimum number.
1: Fabulous. Now you talked about um, being driven to help people. Is is that what keeps you going? You know, what gets you out of bed in the morning?
0: Consciously, it's not that, Janine. I, I don't. I don't wake up in the morning. And go right. You know, who am I going to help today? It's. It is very much part of my fabric now, as a as a human being. Hmm. It's something I've developed, but. Uh, definitely what gets me up in the morning is my design I I guess I've probably positioned myself well to be able to help somebody or a a number of people every single day in the various things that I do whichever of those hats I happen to be wearing at any given time Um, if any psychosymmetric test I've ever done points to the helper the the fixer I've been described as loads of things um, so, both on a conscious and subconscious level, I think it's just a desire to, and, and I'll, I'll go so far as to say, change the world. But when I say that, I I don't mean in a you know a dramatic way. I mean you know you can change the world. We can all change the world one step at a time. Whatever one of us listening to this podcast does today will do something to change the lives of a person, a community, a country. Um, And and I don't think that we should shirk that responsibility or do anything other than embrace it because oftentimes we say, well, you know, my contribution doesn't make a difference. I've stood in front, as you have, um, I've stood in front of audiences of, I don't know, 15,000 people. And when they get asked to, you know, raise a bit of money for a charity and you see adverts on television raising money, people instinctively go, well, you know, my dollar's not really going to make a difference. It absolutely does. Mm. But even if you haven't got the dollar you can give 10 minutes of your time and and that is something that i i simply have no tolerance when i hear people saying well i have you know i haven't got the time and i can't do this we can all make a difference to the lives of somebody else and and that's my simple mantra every single day what can i do today that will change the life of someone in some way and it's actually very easy to do if you break it down
1: And it, it can be as small as saying hello to someone and checking in on how their day has gone. I did a, I think I wrote it in the, in Be Brilliant, an exercise where I literally one day bought a cup of coffee and said to the coffee cart guy, you know, here's an extra 10 bucks, use it for the person behind. And as I was waiting for my coffee, um, the person behind ordered his coffee and the barista went, oh, it's all sorted. And he was obviously taken aback and he looked at me and he this, this customer actually said, why would you do that? And I looked at him and I said, why wouldn't I um, have a good day? And the instant change in his demeanor that morning, and, and I'll never forget it, the look on his face, the smile on his face, I know that him going into the office in that frame of mind was going to have a positive impact on the next person he came in touch with. So your your point of the ripple effect that we can all have doesn't have to be big, great, big gestures. It's actually being conscious and intentional about the impact we are making every single day with every single person we connect with, with every single person that's coming in, in touch with us and and being aware of the shadow that you're leaving when you leave that situation. So, well, you know.
0: on that on that subject, Janine. Sorry to cut across no, you, no. but it reminds me of two things. One, you do mention it in your book, and um, your book actually inspired me to have a conversation with a young man. His name was Amir. He was a homeless uh, lad in London. Saw him sitting in a doorway. You know the usual sign: homeless and hungry. And I decided, rather than give him some money, I went and bought him a sandwich. But what was significant about that, and, and, and your book inspired me, is not just handing the sandwich. It wasn't just handing the money. I knelt down next to him in the doorway, and had a conversation. It was five minutes. Wanted mm. to know where he was from and how he'd ended up where he was, and we had a you know a very nice, um, cordial conversation. At the end of the conversation, he said to me, he looked me square in the eye. He said, "Thank you for noticing me today." Oh. He didn't thank me for the sandwich. He didn't thank me for my time. He said thank you for noticing me because no one ever notices me. And I mean, I was on a high for days after that. And that's to my point earlier that we can all take a couple of minutes out, as you say, to Mm. say hello, to smile at somebody in the street. And one of my very best friends in the world, his name is Simon Chalk. And he will no doubt be listening to this when when we put this on social media. Um, Simon Chalk is an orchestra conductor. And I met him in exactly the same way that you've just described. You met indirectly the chap that was stood behind you in the coffee queue Simon uh, and I were in a well-known coffee shop and I didn't know him from Adam he was in in front of me in the queue and uh he said I'll have cappuccino and whatever this gentleman is drinking and I I mean you could have knocked me over with a feather so you know obviously I wanted to know why what had possessed him to buy me a coffee as I was ordering my black Americano and he said many, many years ago, somebody bought me a coffee in exactly the same way as I'm buying one for you now. But he said to me, I'm buying this on one precondition that you promise to pay the gesture forward to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I've done it ever since. And from that moment to this, and I read about it in your book, I have done exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're absolutely right, Janine, the the number of times, you know, people will be sceptical at first, because that's human nature, because it's not the sort of thing that is commonplace in society. But that shouldn't stop us making those nice gestures. They don't have to be grand, exactly as you say. But um, there's so many things that we can all do. And if just imagine, eight billion people all doing something like that every single day. What an amazing place the world would be!
1: Mm. Oh, it'd be incredible. I have this little game and we used to, uh, when the offices were open and training was happening in big office blocks here in Sydney. I did used to have this little game of I'd get in the lift in, you know, a big professional services firm. And my goal was to get all the other people in the lift to actually start talking by the time I got out (laughs) on the floor. And everyone, of course, there's, you know, there's this crazy distance that just unconsciously happens as people are standing there. They're all looking at their phone and I would just go, oh. Uh, nice skirt today. That looks great. Or your hair looks fabulous or whatever it was. And people would get feel really awkward to start with, but it would not take long at all to break down those barriers and to actually connect. What's, what's do you reckon this, this concept of, of connection is? Has changed as a result of what we've all experienced globally in the year 2020, 2021. Do you reckon you, there's a change going on?
0: I'd like to say I really, truly hope so, Janine. Um, I think probably where we were heading as, as a society was this um, form of communication that many of us refer to as mobile phones, SMS, social media. And I think, you know, I'm not being disparaging of the younger generation. I've got twin children who are 24, so they're classic millennials. And, you know, I would, I like to think of myself as a, you know, reasonably good communicator, try to encourage them to do the same. But, you know, inevitably when you've got all these gadgets and Mm. uh, easy fixes when it comes to communication, I think a lot of us have lost the art of basic communication. And I think what, again, going back to what I said earlier, on the back of every, challenge as an opportunity and I think what's been created as a result of the very unfortunate events of the last you know 12-15 months has been a desire for people to get out and start commuting, um, communicating in that good old-fashioned way you know the number of people who say I just I just want to give somebody a hug and yes. I just want to sit down in a bar or a pub and have a really good face-to-face conversation and goodness I mean of all the people out there, I I welcome it and embrace that because I think it's what we all need. And I think we've all learned that at at a very basic level, human beings are socially interactive creatures and we need, um, we we need the, 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 that, that connection with people on something other than an electronic level. So, Mm. and I really hope, you know, we, we talked off air, didn't we, about um, some of the opportunities that have come as a result of these Mm. challenges and I, you know, I had a, I had a, um, an epiphany, uh, that kind of crossroads moment about a year ago, and learned a completely new way of working that was forced upon me. But goodness me, I mean, it's it's led to a record year in business mm. and uh, a, an amazing work life balance that I probably didn't have before, if I'm honest. So you know, again, I think we can all search for the opportunities and the the positives in all of this, notwithstanding the fact that I know. Lots of people who have lost loved ones and mm-hmm. and have suffered financial hardship, and I'm not I'm not dismissing that or um, dampening that down because I know it's very significant for a lot of people. But at the same time, I think there are some amazing opportunities for for society for for the human beings on this planet to um, I, I think to change at a fundamental level or to revisit the things that probably really worked several years ago that we just lost a little bit of sight of
1: love that I hope so too here's I'm, I'm just wondering what you would rant about Sandro um you and I both work in a similar fields you know we hear lots of words of wisdom we read lots of words of wisdom we were you mentioned earlier that's you know that motivational content that's out there what's what is the one piece of advice? That you've heard, that you would tell people to ignore.
0: Well, I, I think uh, that's that's a fairly simple one, and it's very difficult to do. E- easy to talk about, great, great from a theoretical perspective, difficult in practice. But definitely stop listening to that little voice, uh, the one that can give you a dozen reasons not to do something. And the reason why that's so important, I think, for people, and I, I really just if I may share the second part of my story, because I explained earlier that my father had passed away when I was very young. And then my mum married when I was 13. So four years after my father's death, mum met a lovely man. His name was Dave. He came into the family with two children of his own following his divorce. And for the next eight years became my very best friend in the world. He was, he was a teacher, um, a teacher of life. I should say he gave up his job in a helicopter factory, worked part time to help, look after a growing family. We were still living in a council house, welfare accommodation, as some people would refer to it. Um, And he taught me everything about life. He encouraged me to get into the theatre, which is kind of ironic that I end up speaking on a stage Mm. all those years later, Um, but was absolutely my best friend in the world. He was amazing, such an inspiration. And when I went into uh, the financial services business at the age of 21, I did not wake up one morning Uh, and think I really want to be a financial advisor Uh, I desperately needed to pay off my student overdraft so let's be clear about the reasons I did it originally Um, but one of the things I ended up doing Janine was having that conversation numerous times every day about I I knew at one level that I absolutely had to have a conversation with Dave he was the breadwinner in the family I'd seen what had happened financially to my mum when my father passed away all those years before and I did what so many of us do, which is I made a commitment on one level and I failed to execute on another. And so for two years, I listened to the little voice and the little voice would say things like, but they haven't got any money. Why on earth would they buy an insurance policy? It's raining today. No one's ever in a good mood. No one wants to talk about things when it's raining. Oh, the economy's not very good today. You know, let's let's defer the conversation to tomorrow. And I think there's probably a par- if we're all really honest, there's a parallel with what I've just said to kind of all of our lives in lots of different ways. And it was December 1991, I eventually plucked up the courage to have this conversation. I'm a young, inexperienced advisor at the time, didn't really know what I was doing, but garbled this kind of loose message around, you know, my job is is not to sell you anything, it's just to have a conversation to make sure that I've kind of tick that box, I guess, made that commitment and followed through with some positive action. And then Dave, to my surprise, said, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I've always worried that if anything happened to me, your mum would be back in the same place she was before. He became my very, very first client. I'd spent two years choosing to play golf over doing the right thing by my clients, making all kinds of excuses. Tomorrow's tomorrow's the day I'll start this process, I would Mm. say to myself every single day. And then, um, so he became a client in December 1991. And completely without warning, in February 92, so just two months after he purchased the insurance policy, Dave, like my father all those years ago, um, was also diagnosed with cancer, but it was stomach cancer this time. It was very aggressive. And basically, he was dead within four weeks. And what that taught me because I'd spent two years listening to the little voice. And back to what I said earlier about discipline and regret, the discipline was really painful. Finding the words, having the conversation, putting one step, one foot forward in life, metaphorically, was really difficult, Janine. As a young man, really, really difficult. Um, But what happened two months later taught me a very, very important lesson that unless we follow through on those things that we have in our head or written down on a piece of paper that most of us refer to as goals, nothing happens, nothing of consequence happens in life. And if we spend all our time listening to the little voice, we we are by definition going to look back on our lives with a great deal of regret. I'm 52, I've lived a wonderful life. If anything happened to me tomorrow, in those closing moments, I would I would look back with a good deal of pride. And I guess the challenge I'd throw out there to people is, you know, can we all say the same? Mm. So whatever it is we do, my, you know, my intolerance of people extends solely to a kind of a sadness that they've all got that inner brilliance. They've all got the ability to do something really positive in life, wheresoever they come from, however they start in life, wherever they are right now, there is always something every one of us can do to make a massive difference to our lives, to our family, to friends, uh, and and to the world at large. Um, so, yeah cu- shutting down that little voice promising never to become a member of the discouragement club and i wouldn't say the rest of it's easy but it's much easier that would probably be the answer to your question and i'm sorry it was so long-winded
1: no i love it i love it i think you've you've pretty much Shared there your view on uh, what unleashing brilliance means to you, but also the fact that, uh, like myself, we believe it exists in every single one of us, and it takes. I love that idea that it takes the discipline to actually believe it yourself and to take the right action to avoid what is inevitable if you don't, which is is the regrets, the coulda, shoulda, woulda. I've got one final question for you. If I were able to bring Leo and Dave onto this podcast. What would you say to them?
0: Wow. That's um, that's, that's a brilliant question. Um, I would say to them, I hope you're proud. That's what I would say. Because um, I think the answer to that question would come from um, what I've done in their honour. And when I say that, you know, Helping my family in honour of my father, um, having that difficult conversation with Dave in honour of my mother and the rest of my family. And and I think we all need to look at ourselves in the mirror every day, Janine, and say, you know, before we retire for the night, just look yourself in the mirror and for a few seconds ask yourself a very simple question. You know, have I done enough today? Have I given it my best shot? Um, Because if you can say with all sincerity, I have, you've had an amazing day and and by definition you are brilliant because so few people retire for the night able to say that most people live a life of significant unfulfillment and i always vowed that that would never happen to me so i think to dave and to leo god rest their souls you know i hope they're proud of what i've achieved i i i scratched the surface i'm not suggesting for one minute i'm anything other than bang average as an individual but i hope that through the positive actions i've taken um I've I've honoured them. That would that would be the the thing I would say to to that one. And I hope they're looking down and and uh, and they would agree with what I've just said.
1: Sandro, I think that is the perfect place to end this conversation. Thank you so much for letting me uh, dig around in the, your mind and allow you to share, allow me to share your thinking. Uh, With my audiences. As always, it's such an inspiring conversation. You've certainly given me an awesome amount of food for thought as I finish off my day. And I will absolutely ask myself that question Have I given it my best shot today? Thank you so much, Sandro. And I cannot wait to raise a glass with you one day in the future.
0: Absolutely. And I'm desperate to get down to Melbourne. It's actually my favorite Australian city. And I happen to know a couple of good coffee shops. So we're, we'll probably have to move from coffee to G&T, but either yeah, way around, we will it. definitely get together <laughs> in Melbourne ASAP, Janine. We
1: will absolutely do it. You take care, Sandro. Thank you so much.
0: And to you. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.